Hello, hello, hello. Welcome to the Autism Life Hacks podcast. This is the podcast connecting families to resources to live your most empowered life on the spectrum. I'm one of your co-hosts, Shawnee Eskridge. Thank you for tuning in and subscribing to our Patreon podcast here. For our new and returning listeners, thank you for tuning in to the second half of our introduction episode. This episode is free to you, and our hope is that you will share it with two family members and friends who need the support. In today's episode, I am interviewing our second co-host, and if you'll allow me, I would like to take a brief moment to brag on him a little bit and give him his verbal flowers. He's my oldest, truest friend. He's my gentle giant. He's the father of my babies. He's the man of God of my house. He's my residential tech genius. He's the love of my life. He's 50% of the inspiration for this podcast. He's my husband of 10 years. He is Terrence Eskridge. In today's episode, I interview and sit down with Terrence as he walks us through going through life before and after diagnosis. He gives us insight into the mind unaware of autism, Asperger's, or the spectrum. And we'll get Terry's take on life after diagnosis in marriage, family, the workplace, and in business. Yes, one of the many hats Terrence wears is as an entrepreneur as the owner and operator of Task Technologies, which you'll hear more more about in today's episode. So I talked last episode about giving you guys a toolbox and I explained to you that we were going to give you tools and how to use them and when to use them. And so in today's episode, We hope that the tools that you will put in your toolbox are hope and persistence. For parents who have heard and believe the horror stories about our children never being independent or the limitations that they are expected to have, I hope Terrence's story will show you what happens with consistent support and access to resources. And I just know, we both do, we both know that you'll get nuggets today that will serve you well for years to come. So sit back, relax, and take notes, because without further ado, I'm about to introduce you to my wonderful husband and best friend, Terrence Eskridge. Well, welcome to the Autism Life Hacks podcast, Terrence. How's it feel having your own podcast? Feels amazing, actually. I'm glad to have it. I'm glad to be here. I'm glad we can do this. Okay. Y'all can't hear it, but he's stimming already. He's over here wringing his hands. So just in the spirit of transparency and keeping it real, uh, if you hear hear something that sounds like static, it's not static. It's Terrence rubbing his hands. I'm sorry for snitching. But I'm not Takashi Six Nine, so there are no serious repercussions to this here. So anyway, Terrence, um, well, real quick sidebar, for those of you listening and you don't know what stimming is, 
everybody does it. It's not autism exclusive. Right. And um, it's it's just something that when you get bored or when you get nervous, that thing where you tap your fingers. Pop your knuckles. Rub your hands. Rub your hands to your head, hair, anything. Everyone has something that they do. Just It just happens to be more prevalent in people with autism and Asperger's syndrome. So I guess that can be your vocabulary word for today is stimming. <laughs> Everybody does it. So <laughs> Terrence, in this episode, we wanted to, you know, just allow you to introduce yourself to the audience. And I think we should probably start with just letting the people know who you are, where you're from, what you do. So talk to the people. I do computers. I do everything. Computers. I fix computers. I build computers. I make custom computers for people. I repair computers for people. If it's got if it's got something to do with computing, I do it, and I specialize in it. I am awesome. I was diagnosed about five years ago now, but before all that. I was just a little boy from South Memphis, raised by my grandmother and mother. Just didn't know much about myself, but know that I enjoy playing video games, reading books, and just being by myself. Okay, okay. So, I would imagine that's hard to do, though, because you have, like, a bunch of cousins. Seven, so yeah. So seven of us grew up together. Back. I was gonna say you leaving out a whole slew of people. It was seven of us all together that hung out for the most part, but I have about thirty. <laughs> Real life, and all the babies when they're little look exactly alike, but that's a whole nother podcast. So, do you think that you always knew you were different from? Your cousins. Yes. I knew I was different from the time I was five, six years old. That early? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I knew I was different because I expected things to go the same way every day. If I did something the same, I expected people to respond the same, think the same, act the same. And when they didn't, it was a problem for me. And no one else expected that or thought that they should. And that was my first expectation that, or my first thought that something might be different with me. Okay. That brings me um, actually to a Facebook question that we got um, from inside my support group that I was telling you guys about earlier in my introduction. Um, the question was posed, did you feel as isolated and as separate from your peers in school as I did? I was also diagnosed as an adult, and I've always wondered if others were as uncomfortable in school as I was. So what was that school experience like for you? Um... So, that all depends on at what point in time it was. School, 
was as uncomfortable as I let it be, to be honest. Um, That's a very powerful thing to say. What do you mean by that? Um, if I tried to fit in with everything that everyone was doing around me, it was very uncomfortable because I was not like everybody around me. But I noticed early on that if I just found a few people, because, you know, for the first few years, I, for a lot of time in my school year, I was a lot traveling around different schools and stuff like that. So settling into schools was a difficult thing in and of itself because I never gained the experience to have a single group of friends because I was always used to changing schools very quickly. But by the time I was in middle school, I had to learn how to do that because I stopped changing schools so much. But eventually I learned to just find a single group of people to stay with. And though it may have been as small as two people, but those two people were the two people I talked to, hung out with, and everything with. And that alone made everything just fine. I didn't need to have a lot of people because that could make things unbearable, trying to deal with a lot of people. Okay. There were times I hid how smart I was. Um, Why? Because I wanted to fit in. Because when you're too smart, they either you either become the teacher's favorite and they can get you picked on as a certain as a kid, or they try to single you out and put you ahead, and that means it's harder to make friends. Or the people who are around you try to use you, and that happened a lot growing up. You had other kids trying to, I had kids trying to use me. Um, do your work, do my work for me. What's the answer to this? What's the answer to that? Stuff, you know. Yeah. Stuff kids do. Yeah. Well, stuff kids do when they see that you're the smartest at the table. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I went through a little bit of that too. So I can, I can understand that. So how does, how does it translate or how does it transition that you're in school, you're in this big family, mm-hmm. both settings, you don't like being around a lot of people, but you're forced to be around a lot of people, you're uncomfortable trying to fit in, which, by the way, did you ever feel like you had to try to fit in with your family? Yes. Mm. Explain. Since I noticed I was different earlier on. I also tried to work my way out to fit in early on. So it was like wearing a skin or wearing a costume from a young age. So I was doing it so long that it became normal to me. Looking back on it as an adult, what is one thing you could see young Terrence doing where in retrospect you can point it out and say, that was me wearing a mask. That was me trying to fit in. Uh, sports was one of them. Um, Boy Scouts was one of them. 
because I was kind of interested in parts of it, but for the most part, wasn't interested in it. Um, but it was something that all my cousins were doing together, so um, I was into it. Um, Would you say that that was just not wanting to be left out or would you say it was something bigger like separation anxiety uh it was an inclusion thing all of them were doing it and because i just knew that i was supposed to be with all of them because we had been that way for so long and the same thing when it came to girls like we had all been together for so long we'd all talked about everything for so long to all of a sudden not do it just seem wrong so did this idea of inclusion how did that affect you in going to college and then how did it how did that affect you again in getting married and starting your own family college was difficult because we were all supposed to go to college it had been drilled in our head for forever that we had to go to college but going to college was not something we could all do together first off it was all different ages and we all got accepted different parts of the country places so nobody was going to be together anyway and we was all of a sudden separate and it was different and it was hard to be alone like that and how did being alone affect you like what does being what did being hard look like for you how did that manifest for you even though there's always a part of me that wants to be alone i'm used to being alone with someone around like i'm used to being alone in a crowd and to suddenly go from having that barrier around me, that crowd around me, to being alone with nobody around me in a completely unknown situation, it was very, very hard to have no type of protective barrier around me, like shorthand installation. One of my cousins was the new person greeter. One of my cousins would out. He was very talkative, so he would meet all the new people for me. And once he became cool with them, that's how I would know that I could talk to him and be okay with him. And I didn't have that type of thing anymore. Okay. Okay. So you literally used one of your cousins as a shield, or or more like a screener. Yeah. Screener. Okay. So. Did you learn to, did you come up with a solution to this problem for yourself in college? Were there things that you tried to like handle it yourself? Or what was eventually the outcome of you not having what you needed to make you feel comfortable in college? I had to come back home. Mm -hmm. I did not make it at that school. Okay. Were you comfortable when you came back home? Like, did it lessen any anxiety for you? Like, no, because I came home because I failed everything because I could not make it to class because I could not function the way I knew how to function and I did not understand why. 
Okay. Did you start having questions at that point? No. No. I just thought... I just thought it was something wrong with me and that I just needed to try harder. Okay. So... Explain to me, give us some insight into if your mind is, if somewhere in your mind, if somewhere in yourself, you're thinking you're different, you're not the same as everybody else, you've had this experience with college where you're not okay, you see that you're not okay with drastic change and not really having a tangible support system because I remember talking to you in college and it didn't seem like anything was wrong or at least in the moment it didn't seem like anything was wrong I just thought you were being a teenager but I always wondered why you were calling me so late at night at the moment I didn't understand what was wrong right at the moment all I knew was I didn't feel okay did you feel safe to tell anybody you didn't feel okay because you no. didn't tell me Okay, so you come home, you're feeling all of these things about yourself, you're feeling different, you haven't told anybody. How do you go from feeling all of those things to being okay with the idea and the notion of marrying somebody? Because that's a huge change. Like, plainly asking, what gave you the okay to ask me to marry you. Because I couldn't see my life with anybody but you. I'm not crying on this podcast. That's what I'm not doing. (laughs) 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 Okay, so... I I guess what I'm really asking is, did you think it through? Because it's a big change. Yes. This and, and taking me out of the situation, just looking at the bare bones mechanics of it. It's a big change. Mm-hmm. You are agreeing to spend your entire life with somebody for the rest of your life. Well, I also know that I did not want to spend the rest of my life alone. Mm. I also knew that I eventually wanted to have kids. I did not want to have kids single. Mm. Okay. So even if I did not want, even if being, even if marriage is a big step and it's difficult and it's a big change, not being married and not having kids and being alone all my life was not an option. So. Okay. So you definitely knew that not just being in a relationship but being married, that had to happen for you. Yes. You knew that. Yes. Okay. So I'm trying to see. Like, you knew you wanted to get married. You knew you wanted to have children in the context of marriage. You didn't want kids just anywhere. How, again, taking me out of the equation, um, how in your mind did you see your spouse 
handling or even addressing your differences, the differences that you felt on the inside of yourself. I always used to just call myself weird. So what I expected or thought was that either I was going to marry somebody that was weird or that I was going to marry somebody that understood the weird part of me and enjoyed it or accepted it. And which one did you marry? Just out of curiosity. Somebody who understood the weird part of me and accepted it. I pray about it. <laughs> I pray about it because this might be a whole nother episode. But there there are some moments where... I didn't say I enjoyed it. I just said accepted. <laughs> as long as we're being real. Okay. So you get married feeling like you have all these differences in yourself. You still haven't out now addressed them. But getting married is one thing. Having kids is a whole nother ball game. Yeah, I can't say that I understood just all that what into what went into having and raising kids. I didn't understand all of what into went into that. Which is hilarious to me because I remember freaking out about being pregnant with Jay and you were like, no one's ready for parenting until you become a parent. So here you are in the midst of the chaos that is me on hormones and (laughs) you're the calm one. And meanwhile, on the inside, you're freaking out too and not saying a word for the most part. Because you had your days where you did freak out, but not nearly as many days as I had. Well, I knew there was nothing nothing that could be changed and I knew that... um... Until she got here, I had no idea how things were going to be with her until I held her. So I was just waiting on the moment that I could hold her. Okay. So I'm starting to see a pattern here with your mindset being that no matter what the chaos is, you just zero in on one thing. And until that one thing is complete, nothing else matters. Yeah. That's the pattern I'm starting to see here. And if for some reason the one thing is not in place in the midst of all the chaos, then you retreat. And that that's how you ended up coming home. Because there was one key factor that wasn't in place. You might have a point there. I never actually thought about it, but... You might have a point there. I'm just saying what I see. That's all. Okay, so we have Jay. The one thing I'll never forget about having Jay is I always felt like something was off from the time I was pregnant with her. Not necessarily that something was wrong, but I remember spending the entire time feeling like something was off Mm -hmm. and I couldn't ever explain it. I remember you being frustrated because normally I'm, there's not very many moments where I don't have words. Yeah. But on this particular thing, I didn't have the words. I just knew I had a feeling and I couldn't explain it. And then she gets here and that's a whole ordeal 
and we finally get home and we're raising her and she's growing up and she's not talking and she's not walking by a certain age. Correct. I remember the first Christmas uh, where she finally took her first steps, but they were assisted. But they were still her first steps, and I just remember crying out of feeling like she won't be singled out anymore. I won't be asked the questions, why isn't she walking anymore? Yeah. And then those questions morphed into why is she always falling down? Or why does she walk like she's a drunk person? You remember that? Yeah. And then those questions began to hurt, and those questions became embarrassing. And that felt like judgment. And then I don't think we were aware in the moment that she was nonverbal. Yeah, no, we had no clue. We had no idea. We just thought, you know, she'll speak when she speaks. And then we get to the pediatrician and she's like, she should be talking by now. She should be talking by now. Mm-hmm. And then she officially gets diagnosed with a with a speech delay. Do you ever remember hearing anything about going through anything similar when you were younger? Not me, no. Uh, one of my cousins had a speech delay due to having an ear infection for a long time that nobody knew about. But, uh, no, me, I spoke from a young age because my mother, um, well, yeah, from what I understand, that was from what she told me, she read to me a lot, and then I would try to read, I would repeat what she was saying to me. Like, I would stare her in the eye, and just repeat back what she was saying to me. Which is kind of special to me, given when I think about how Jay learned to read, like how mm-hmm. she actually learned to read. Mm-hmm. You know, and it, it would be her and her Nabi at night. Mm-hmm. And she would sit down and like memorize the highlighted letters that made up words and what those letters sounded like coming from the Nabi. Mm-hmm. And for a long time, she sounded like a robot. And that's what that reminds me of, you looking your mother in the eye and just repeating what she said. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, there's that. So, with the diagnosis of a speech delay, we start early interventions. And I remember hovering so much in that intervention because I wasn't ready yet to hear that anything was wrong with her. And then she turned one and she still wasn't speaking. And then she turned two and she still wasn't speaking. Mm -hmm. And she was almost about to turn three and barely had any words. And this was at the time where Dr. J was like, she finally sat me down and she says, I'm not trying to call you a bad mother. Every time I tell you that she's behind on her speech and you leave, and she comes back, she has more words than when she left. And I can tell that you've been working with her. I'm not trying to call you a bad mother. 
I just know that whatever's going on is outside the scope of my knowledge and it's outside the scope of yours. She's like, I'm not telling you that you need help. I'm telling you we need help for her. And it was Dr. Jaya coming to me, not from doctor to patient, but from mother to mother. That's what kind of lit the fire under my butt. To get Jay tested. But getting Jay tested then became an ordeal for you. Yes. So walk me, walk us through that. Well, I mean, they gave her tests about reading, comprehension, and, um, you know, hearing tests, vision tests, you know, they asked the questions. And they asked us questions about her mainly, mm-hmm. and that's the part that got to me because they asked her question. They asked us questions about her, and you're answering, and I'm thinking, and I'm saying it loud, you know, that this is normal behavior for a child. At least I'm thinking it's normal because it was normal for me as a child. And then we get responses basically saying that it's not normal behavior. And before the test is even done, they say. They're giving us like we're we're pretty sure that she's on that she's on the spectrum with autism. Like we're gonna we're gonna give you the results when we have it officially not diagnosed. But we're pretty sure that she's on the spectrum. And I'm basically telling myself, oh, then I'm probably on the spectrum as well because these all these answers that we gave you apply to me as well. So you always tell the story so differently than I remember it. Because I remember you getting upset. And I remember having to step outside with you. That's a memory I'll never forget. You're, prob- you're more likely right. But I'm always remembering the after effect, not the actual emotion in the process. Well, yeah, I think that's a really good observation, too. Like, you're, you really like to try to stick to the black and white of the situation. But I see all the colors. Yeah. <laughs> I, I see all the colors because, like, I remember them testing Jackie. And I remember we were standing outside of the room, out of the testing room at that point, And we could still see and hear what was going on. And you kept asking, not necessarily to me directly, but you just kept asking. You were like, why are they testing her on that? That's normal. That's normal. That's normal. Like, I don't understand. And I could see you visibly getting upset. And then they came out and said, we're pretty sure she's on the spectrum. And you're like, what do you mean she's on the spectrum? And I remember, what do you mean she's on the spectrum? And I remember excusing us from the conversation and stepping outside of Colonial and saying, calm down. You're getting frustrated. And I remember wanting you to calm down because at that time, you and Jay were still very much tethered to each other. Like, mm-hmm. however you felt, that's how she was going to feel. Yeah. And I did not want her to see you like that. Yeah. And so I remember once I said that, do you remember what you asked me? No. 
you took one look at me and you said, how long have you known? And it about broke me because the way you said it was in such an accusatory tone. It was like I had betrayed you. And I was just like, do I tell the truth right now? <laughs> I was like, I'm scared of what he's going to do. Because the truth was I had been talking with a close friend for months at that point because her little brother is on the spectrum. And she was just kind of giving me some wisdom and schooling me about what his life is like, you know, with him being on the spectrum. And she was telling me, like, if I suspect that Jay was on the spectrum, that I really, really need to look into it because early, you know, diagnosis and intervention is key in this sort of thing. And I remember she put up this article on Facebook about this four-year-old prodigy who had graduated like some Ivy League college. Mm -hmm. And I remember going through and reading the article and the article was basically an interview of the young boy's dad. Mm -hmm. And just all of these things that he was naturally gifted in, most of which was technology. Mm -hmm. And all I kept thinking about was you and your fixation with computers and Jackie and how Every time we went over to your dad's house, she always wanted to get up under the hood of the car and see what he was doing and wanted to tinker on stuff with you and, Mm -hmm. you know, wanted to know what certain tools were and just how she just really uh, took to engineering very, very early on. She definitely has a side to her that's really, really here for entertaining and... You know, she, she'll put on a show at the drop of a hat. And I think that that's kind of the best of both worlds in in her from both of us. Like, I b- completely believe that she gets her engineering from you mm-hmm. and she gets her love of fine arts from me. You are listening to the Autism Life Hacks podcast. If you are enjoying this free episode, please like, share and subscribe to the podcast. Then leave a rating on your preferred podcast platform. We also invite you to become an official life hacker by joining our official Patreon community. As a patron, your support gives you exclusive access to offers on merchandise, event tickets, counseling services, as well as knowing that you're actively helping us to connect families to resources that empower them to live their best lives on the spectrum. Thank you for listening. Now back to the episode. And I I definitely, I definitely see that in her. But at that time, when I told you, you know, that I had been thinking that both of y'all were on the spectrum for months, your response to me was, why wouldn't you tell me something like that? And I just remember staring at you like, do you not see yourself? (laughs) Like, this is exactly what I expected from you. This is this is why I didn't tell you. So in that moment, like, how did you actually feel? Because everything I just said is complete and pure speculation of 
my perception of how you were reacting in that moment. How did you actually feel in that moment, in that conversation with me where they just told you that your daughter may be on the spectrum. You walk outside and your wife tells you that she has suspected this for months at the least. How are you actually feeling in this moment? I'm feeling like you had been studying psychology and therapy for years at that point and that you knew <laughs> and that you had promised me that you would always tell me the truth. Yeah. And that you hadn't told me the truth. I remember you saying something to that effect. I remember you asking me, you knew it. You didn't tell me. You're supposed to tell me. And I remember it because my response was, I don't have my master's degree yet. I am not able to actually give you a diagnosis. I remember telling you that. And you just did not care. <laughs> you did not care. And I'm like, I can't give you a diagnosis. You have enough you have enough intelligence and know how to be reasonably sure whether you can give me a medical diagnosis or not or not. You could be reasonably sure be like, Terrence, there's something I think you should know. You might want to have this checked out. Okay. But I stand by me back then because the truth of the matter is, at least in my perspective, if I had pulled that trigger and was wrong, come on now, if I pulled that trigger and was wrong. Why would I be upset if you were wrong? I had been worried that there was something different about me for years. Well, not... I wasn't necessarily worried about pulling that trigger, being wrong, and you being upset. I was concerned about pulling that trigger, me being wrong, and the stress that comes with finding out that you're a special needs family. Because it's, it's, it's like immediate stress, and you don't have any words for it. You just know how you feel immediately. So you were afraid of being right? Oh, for sure. For sure. I think that was the one time in my life that I can remember that I was afraid of being right just as much as I was afraid of being wrong. And I did not want to pull that trigger without facts. And I was not in a position to give a medical diagnosis. And that's why we were at the school. And I knew that nine times out of ten, if Jay was on the spectrum, you were on the spectrum. I knew nine times out of ten. Okay. So, I think the rest of it, we should probably get into in, like, later episodes. Like, how um, me being afraid of you being on the spectrum, what that fear really was about. Because honestly, that fear, is, that fear was really about how that affects the dynamic of our relationship in terms of what my expectations are yeah. in a relationship. So I think that's a whole nother episode. But I want to ask before we bring this episode to a close, 
how, how has having the diagnosis benefited you in your life? Because the fact of the matter is, with or without a diagnosis, you're still on the spectrum. You were on the spectrum when you didn't know, and you're still on the spectrum now that you know. So what has been the effect? What has it mattered, you having a diagnosis? One peace of mind. That's that's the biggest thing, peace of mind, having actual knowledge of what is going on. And two, um, knowing what's going on made me know what my triggers are and what to look for and what's going on with me. Because before, like I said, with college, I didn't know why I was feeling that way or what I was actually feeling. But now I've been able to give you a play-by-play of what was going on with me at that time. Okay, I can see it from that vantage point. I can. What would you say to parents or guardians or even neighbors who feel like or suspect that a child, a neighbor, or a loved one is on the spectrum, but they don't have a diagnosis? What suggestions would you give for them to approach it, to to approach that conversation. Mm. First and foremost, be honest. Honesty is the key to everything. Don't be cruel, but be honest. Um, tell them that you. Tell them that you think that, not that you think there's something wrong with them, God, no, but that you think that you can put a word to some of the different things that they've been feeling or that they've been thinking about themselves. Just tell them to get checked. It doesn't hurt. It's just questions. It's not even questions that's painful to you or hard to think about that you don't want to think about. But it and it's good to know if you think someone is and or even if you think you yourself are. Get tested, get checked out, answer the questions and find out. Okay. Okay. Okay, so I have two more questions. First question, disabled or enabled differently, and why? Um, Enabled differently, and I don't feel this anything. Um, I say enabled differently, and I don't feel this anything. That's why I don't feel like I can't do anything. Cool. Um, what do you want our audience to know about your approach to this podcast? My approach to this podcast is to, well, mainly I want to just get all parts of the community together to spread what people are doing in it together what 
the schools are doing to help the community, what community members are doing to help other members of the community, and what we as people in the community can do to help each other and to stop depending on medications and things that are hindrances to people and to for us to grow stronger on our own mm. okay okay i know that's gonna be a heavy episode in and of itself when we get to talking about meds versus homeopathic treatments and all of that so yes that is some of what you have to look forward to in the Autism Life Hacks podcast. I want to thank you for tuning in for both intro episodes and thank you for becoming patrons and life hackers with us. And we hope and pray that you're able to take a lot from Terrence's testimony and put it in your toolbox today about how having a diagnosis is definitely important for a peace of mind and for being able to understand and have a full scope of what you're actually thinking from the perspective of someone on the spectrum and how important it is to have support. I think you definitely need to have that in your toolbox today that you need to have support and be able to identify support and that having your diagnosis will help you learn your triggers. Those were some highlights for me. So I want you guys to post in the comment section of this episode what are some of the highlights for you? What are some things that you're putting in your toolbox from this episode? 